our theme for 2021 is thriving. And this series that we're in that we began last week is thriving with truth. What we're, what we're doing is we're taking our articles of faith. We have eight of them. And we're teaching through each one of them. And we're, we're seeing what the scripture says about each one. Now, I want to confess to you that each one of these articles of faith, there are so many scriptures that we easily could have pulled from. There are so many scriptures that could have been the basis, especially the one that we're going to do today, which is the doctrine of God. There are so many scriptures that we could use, but as Pastor David wrote the overview for this series, this is, this is where he led by, was led by the Spirit of God uh, to have us preach. And so the, the text that we're going to use is, is one that, again, it's one of many that could be used. As we as we think about this whole idea of doctrine, something Pastor David said last week that I want to repeat and say again and again and again, and that is this. Doctrine is, is not just meant, it's not just meant to be known. It is meant to be lived. There is a response that is demanded from truth. It's either an, 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 an acceptance of it or a rejection of it. And, and if, if we are to say that we believe this, then there's going to be a way in which our lifestyles are changed. And so understand that today, as we finish here in just a few moments, you're going to have a response. And, and it is either going to be lean in and be changed or lean away and be changed. Either way, there's going to be a change because our behaviors our behaviors are determined by our beliefs. And what we believe is crucial to what we do. And as believers, as Christians, especially, specifically members here at Living Hope, all of our beliefs are based on the Bible. That's why the series began last Sunday with our first article. And our first article is, it's the scriptures. Here's what we believe about the Bible in particular. We believe that the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments of the Bible were written by men inspired by God. It is God's only final and complete written revelation of himself, his ways, purposes, and standards for mankind. It is without error in the original manuscripts, worthy of our trust, sufficient for explaining salvation, and authoritative for faith and life. Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is the focus of divine revelation. And because the Bible is foundational to our beliefs, it is crucial not only that we gather for worship every Sunday to hear the preaching of the word, but then every day we consume the word. And as we read the word, as we pray the word, we always need to be asking four questions. Pastor David introduced these to you last week and I want to give them again today. We need to always ask, what does this text say about who God is? What does this text say about who I am? What does this text say about what I must stop doing? What does this text say about what I must do? This is not only a question that we need to ask every time we read the Bible, but every time we experience God in worship and the word is taught rightly, we need to ask these four questions. We're going we're gonna to answer in particular the first question, who is God? What does this say about God? But we can't help but understand who we are in light of who God is and possibly what we need to stop doing, and, and most assuredly, what we need to start doing. Our text today, it teaches us who God is. God is and, and exists in three persons as creator, sustainer, and king. He is both transcendent over all, and yet he is intimate and near 
each and every person and is engaged in every aspect of the cosmos. He is truly glorious. What we believe, what you believe is very important. What you believe about God will determine everything about you. Don't forget that. What you believe about God will determine everything about you. A.W. Tozer said this. He said that how you answer this question says everything about you. Who is God? Who is God? And what you say in response tells everything about you. And, And we all have a belief. We all have belief pertaining to God. And we need to understand our personal belief does not change the reality of God. God does not change. God is who he is. So despite how we may feel or what we may think, that may change. God does not change. Our faith and what we believe is important because it impacts us. I have an unfortunate belief as it pertains to our fire alarm system here at Living Hope. Some of you remember years ago when we first installed the fire alarm system that it went off in the middle of the service. How many of you guys were here when the alarm? Yes, many of you. Yes, yes. And some of you remember, I I have it here on my iPad. We have protocols. And I open up those protocols and I begin to go and finally it stopped and someone stopped me and said, we don't have to to stop the service. We don't have to have everyone exit. I was like, oh, great. Okay, good, good, good. The next week. The fire alarm system went off. Who remembers when the fire alarm system went off? And then we fired the fire alarm. No, we didn't do that. <laughs> but yeah, and so a, a few weeks ago, I was here early. I was working, and lo and behold, a uh, fire alarm went off. So I stepped outside my office, gave it a few sniffs, didn't smell smoke. I went back to work because I have a bad belief as it pertains to our fire alarm system, which I don't think it's, you know, trustworthy. So a couple of months ago, I was at a, um, I was at a coffee shop and um, freezing cold outside and the fire alarm went off. So my friend and I, we grabbed our coats, we got our coffee, we go outside. Guess who didn't leave? The workers. They all just sat there, watched us go out, just kind of watched us be out there freezing cold because they have a belief about their fire alarm system that I have about our fire alarm system. And it impacted and it caused their behavior. See, what we believe will determine what we do. The fire alarm goes off right now, eh, may or may not dis- disperse you. I don't know. Now, if I smell smoke, yeah, we're out. We're going. We're going to get our babies and we're going to run. We're going to get out of here. But see, it, th- there's a belief. What that belief is will drive what you're going to do. And that is especially true about our belief in God. What we believe about God drives our behavior. And what we believe about God then is the most important thing about us and will ultimately determine how we live. Now, our text today, and again, we could have chosen any number of texts. Tests, it, it, it teaches us who God is. All right, so let's, let's learn who God is and how it is we will live when we truly believe what the Bible says about God. And friends, God, this is exciting. This is, it's very difficult for me not to go ahead and preach just two or three hours on this because there's so much of this and so much of it that has absolutely altered and changed my life. And I'm so grateful to God for what I'm going to say to you today from God's word because it has, it has changed me. It has so blessed me and I hope it does you today. You know, one of the things that that happens when we truly believe in the God of the Bible is we become a thriving people. Remember what thriving is? 
Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. We don't have to force ourselves to be thriving. No, no, we will be a thriving people. We will live a thriving life because a thriving life affirms the truth about God. And that's what our text is gonna show us today. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. And while you're turning there, I wanna make a quick advertisement. Um, with us removing in here and in the chapel the, um, the distancing restrictions, one of the things I'd like to get back to is having um, people read the scripture for me. Uh, we, we typically use children to do that, but anyone can do it. And it's not that I, 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 don't, I can't read, it's just I don't read well. And so I, I would rather have members of our church do it. And it is such a special, sweet way that we experience worship together. So if you would be interested, if your child would be interested, direct message me or email at info at lhbg.org and we'll get in touch with you and we'll get this going again. I'm very excited about that. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. We're in Romans chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Because of this text and many others in the Bible, Living Hope has a very specific way of believing in and speaking to the reality of God. This is our second article of faith. We'll put it on the screen now. We believe in one God who exists eternally in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three persons are equal in divinity, authority, and glory, and yet each has personal attributes and distinct functions. Because of his triune nature, God is both transcendent over all of creation and personally involved in this world as the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. This is a true statement. It is both hopeful and helpful. And and so let's consider our text today. And what it tells us about what is true, true about God and how our belief in this truth, it really will impact how we live our lives. So the first of four truths is this. Number one, the truth is, the truth is God is good. The truth is God is good so we can trust him. You know, there are so many things in our lives that we cannot completely trust that we often do. For instance, we cannot completely trust our emotions, our feelings, because they change all the time. We cannot completely trust our own thoughts. We are easily deceived. And we cannot trust institutions and organizations because they're made up of people whose feelings and thoughts cannot be trusted because they are easily changed and manipulated and deceived. We cannot completely trust ourselves or other people, but we can completely trust God because God is good. God is good. And there are many who struggle to believe that statement. 
God is good. And, and one of the reasons why some people struggle to believe that God is good, and what I'm about to say, I don't, don't take this statement and run with it. You, you need to take what I'm about to say and hear the full compliment of what, what this means. But, but I'm going to say it, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to bother you, I hope, it bothers me. But then I want to explain why this is true and what the scripture says. And here it is. Many people struggle to believe God is good. And one of the reasons is because God is not safe. He's not safe for us by nature. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia and speaking of God wrote this, of course he isn't safe but he's good. God is good, but he's not safe. And the reason God is not safe, it's not because of a deficiency in God. God is not safe because of a deficiency in us. See, God is perfect. God is truly good, and we truly are not. God is good, and, and our text gives us these three very, very simple ways in which he's good, having to do how, how he thinks, how he judges, and how he acts. See, God is good because his wisdom and knowledge are perfect. It says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. There is no limit to the wisdom and knowledge of God. He is all-knowing. His understanding is perfect. He cannot, we cannot comprehend the vastness and the knowledge of God. I once heard a pastor say this, the vastness of God is greater than the oceans of the world. And what we are capable of understanding of him is less than a single drop. God is beyond our understanding, but God understands all things. He understands them and knows them perfectly. What God comprehends and knows is perfect and complete. And having the capacity to know all things, God is able to make judgments that are perfect. His judgments are perfect. Look at what it says in the text. How unsearchable are his judgments. In our world of injustice, it's hard to imagine perfect justice. It's hard to imagine a, a being that always makes the right decision, who always chooses rightly. You know, one of the hardest things about being a parent is, is that day when you allow your child to have keys to put in a weapon that we call a car and drive off. It's a terrifying day because here's what we know. They don't know anything, right? I mean, they know something. Sure, they were able to pass a test with a book and they were able to con somebody in a driver's test downtown, but we know them. And we know that, that they have a lack of judgment because not only of a lack of knowledge and experience, but there's just a lack of the capacity to make perfect judgments. And it's scary. Here's the great thing about our God. And one of the reasons why we know he's good. Not only is his knowledge and wisdom complete and perfect, his judgments are perfect. He knows completely, perfectly what is true. And he makes judgments that are perfect. And his actions, that's the third thing, his actions are perfect. How inscrutable are his ways? Not only does God make the right choices, he's able to carry out his perfect judgments with per precise accuracy and flawless action. Yesterday, I performed the wedding of um, 
Elliot Pratt and now uh, Savannah Pratt, formerly Savannah Snyder. And I met with them on Wednesday in preparation for the ceremony and then again on Friday night with all their friends in a rehearsal. And one of the things I told them, I made them a promise. I said, look, no matter what happens in the ceremony on Saturday, unless the Lord returns, you will be legally married come Saturday night. I'm going to sign the document and I'll find some witnesses. We will have this document signed and you will be legally married. As far as the ceremony, no promises. Because a lot of things can go wrong. And they did. They did. You know, the flower girl got halfway down. She decided, I'd like to keep those flowers. And so she went back to collect every one. In the midst of this, the ceremony, someone had uh, forgot to turn off their phone, and so every time there was a score, Sports Center was alerting us. Na 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 na. As I think someone thought the ceremony should be over, there was an alarm that went off. And bless her heart, with all the confusion, everything going on, Savannah kind of lost her vows. We had to we had to go over them twice. It happens, right? It's not a big deal. It's just we just you know we had to cover some things, and so it was far from a perfect ceremony. But I'm going to tell you, we had some fun in here. We laughed. We cried. Boy, did Elliot cry! It was the ugliest cry. We voted as a staff. That was the ugliest cry we've ever seen at any wedding ceremony at any given time. And that is now recorded for everyone to know. It was ugly. And so it was not, it was not perfect. But you know what's great about God? He's perfect. God is perfect. And here's the thing. That's why he's not safe. That's why God's not safe. The reason God's not safe is because God is perfect and we're not. God is holy. Right now in heaven, the Bible says in Isaiah 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With, with, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to one another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now here the holy angels cannot even look upon God because although they are holy, he is holy, holy, holy. He is beyond, he is other than holy angels. He is certainly, he is certainly beyond us who are sinful. And see, there's the problem. See, sin cannot exist in the presence of holiness. And we're born sinners. We're born with a nature to sin and we do sin and we have sin. Now we have eternal dignity because we've been made in the image of God. You have eternal value. And every human being that you ever see or come in contact with or ever hear of has eternal value and dignity because they've been made in the image of God. And out of respect for God, they are to be treated with respect and honor no matter what they do. They are to be dignified, shown dignity out of fear and respect of God. But we're all sinners. And just as light cannot stand in darkness, so sin cannot remain in the presence of God. So we have a very serious problem. Our God is, the God is not safe, but we long to be in his presence. The only way that we can enter into God's presence is to be made holy. 
By nature, we are sinful, so we cannot make ourselves holy because we are already sinful. There's nothing within us that can overcome this reality. So we need something outside of us to enter in us and to change who we are. And that's the good news of the gospel. Romans chapter five, verse eight tells us, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the gospel. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that by receiving his grace, we become the righteousness of God. Romans five nineteen says, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. God is not safe, but he's good. And because of of the gospel, we can become righteous and we can be good with God and we can trust him. Because of the goodness of God, we can trust him. We can trust him with every detail of our life. Second, the truth is, The truth is, God is great. God is great, so we can respect him. And we we live in a culture that disrespects God. And honestly, uh, we do to some extent. The disrespect is shown in many ways. One of the primary ways is in how small we attempt to make God seem. We use phrases that show God disrespect by referring to God as the man upstairs or speaking of God's creation as having come from mother nature. We use, we use his name in vain. Uh, even in our texting, we use O-M capital G. We curse with his name. It's because we disrespect him. We also disrespect God by making our thoughts and ideas superior to his. In our sin, we think we know best. In our pride, we we think God is wrong. We see this in our society as many have disregarded certainly portions and some all of Scripture. And, And there are some who say, yeah, yeah, we believe in the Bible, but only in as much as it fits with our cultural view of the world. And so they lay their cultural view over the top of Scripture, not honoring and respecting the Word of God for what it is, the word of God. And we see this among the saints. Even amongst the redeemed, we we see many who ignore God. They ignore God because they don't open his word every day and say, Lord, speak to me. That, That Bible is dusty. That app goes unused. Why? It is out of disrespect for God because you disregard God. And even when his word is studied, there are times when, 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 when God is not taken at his word. If we're not ignoring him, oftentimes we are downplaying what he has clearly said and we don't do it. We don't believe it. Why? Because we don't respect God. No one is greater than God and, and no one knows more than God. Our text says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? None can fully understand all that God knows and none can correct him or inform him of anything because he knows more than we can ever know and his judgments are always right and his actions are always right and he has said what is true. He has said what to do. Why do we disregard him? Because we don't respect him. 
I, I, when I played football, the team I played on, the way it worked was the offensive coordinator would call the play and the quarterback coach would then signal the play And from the huddle, I would call the play. But then when I got to the line of scrimmage, I was to look to the quarterback coach to see if he wanted to change the play based on what the defense was. And I remember uh, in a a preseason game that the quarterback coach had changed the play. And I was about to change the play, but I thought his play lacked a little creativity. And given what the defense was and what I perceived were my abilities, I called a different play. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I remember the next day during film session, we always watched film. I noticed that the quarterback coach was getting through the film session rather quickly. I could tell that he was making his way towards my call. I began to get nervous. I began to question myself. I began to wonder, where's this going? So as he showed the play in slow motion, he began to talk to us. Coach Alex Robbins was his name. And he would say, son, Pettis, son, please tell me, inform us. What were you thinking here? And so I kind of described it. He said, just stop. Okay, just stop. And then he took apart the play and showed me all the things I didn't see and all the reasons why I was wrong. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, son, I can't say it quite. That's how he really talked, but I need a cigarette hanging out the side of my mouth to really get the full effect on it. And I thought about bringing one in, but you know the fire alarm system. So I didn't want to get in all that. So he said, son, I have forgotten more about this game than you're ever going to know. Call and do what I say. And then he said, just as a reminder to make sure I did, that I'd be running during sevens. Seven on seven is one of the funnest things you do uh, in practice. It's seven offense versus seven defense. But I was going to be running, and I did run the entire time. See, when you run suicides in football, you go from the goal line to the 10-yard line and back, to the 20-yard line and back, to the 40-yard line and back. And, and he says, son, you're going to run till we're done with this. Well, I lost my lunch over that deal. It was not pretty. <laughs> But guess what I never did again? Never made that call. No, no. Whatever Coach Robbins said is what I did. Guys, can I tell you something? The Lord God has made the call. And this is perfect. And it is foolish to disregard this and to ignore it. This is the word of God. And God has spoken. And we are to respect his word We are to respect his word because we respect him. God is our maker. God is our savior. He is the great lover of our soul. He is the king who is coming back. He deserves our respect. Third, the truth is God is gracious. The truth is God is gracious so we can appreciate him. What God has given, none of us could purchase. None of us could pay it back. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? No one. No one has ever given God something that he needed. There was ne- there's never been a person who could pay God back for what he's done. It's grace. You hear that word. We know this word. Do you know what it means? Remember this meaning. This is very simple. Grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited That means you can't earn it. You can't pay it back. It's beyond your capacity. It's unmerited favor. It is given to us. That's what makes it grace. We can't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's grace. 
And that grace, if we receive it, it makes us appreciative. I, I was on a, a mission board years ago and, and, and we were out of state and I saw a man do something that was unbelievably generous and kind. And, and once the action was done, I, I told him, I said, my friend, you have been unbelievably generous and kind. You are a generous and kind person. And he stopped me and he said, no, I'm not. And I began to interrupt and say, he said, no, 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 please hear me. He said, I'm an appreciative person. And I said, okay, you're going to have to help me with this one. He said, oh, it's easy. He said, when I was a teenager, my parents went out of town for a week and my dad left me his car, nice car. And he gave me very clear rules that I was to keep in driving that car. And he said, I didn't keep those rules. I went outside those boundaries. And he said, I ran into a much nicer car than my dad's car. And both cars were completely wrecked. He said, he was almost paralyzed with fear. He said, I got on the side of the car. He said, I sat down. He said, I was, he said, I was crying. And he said, all I can remember is saying over and over, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. And he said, honestly, I think he would have killed me. But the man got out of the car, came over to him, he handed him a Coke and said, drink this, stop crying, you look ridiculous. He said, my dad is going to kill me. He said, no, he's not. Here's what we're going to do. The man said to, to my friend, he said, I am an unbelievably wealthy, rich person. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have both of these cars towed. I'm going to have both of these cars fixed. I'm going to let you borrow a car. And before your parents get back in town, both cars are going to be back where they belong and no one's going to know about it except you and me. My friend said, what's the catch? He said, from this moment forward, you have to treat everybody else the way I've treated you out of appreciation to me. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. Jesus Christ left heaven, became human, lived a holy life. He was rejected, not only by humanity and, and placed upon a cross. He was rejected by God and the wrath of God was poured out on him. He died for our sin. And he calls us to appreciate what he's done. You know what happens when you receive that grace that he gives and you know that he's gracious and, and we begin to appreciate him? One thing that we'll do is what my, what my friend did is we have to share what God's done for us. We have to share it. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the, men, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We can't help but talk about what God's done for us. Do you daily talk about God's grace to you? Do you talk to lost people about God's grace to you or, or do you have too much pride and fear of being ridiculed for your faith? Do, do you have too much pride to be looked down upon other people? You know, for me, it's, it's having people look at me and go, oh man, here he goes again, three circles. Here we go. 
there are times, honestly, I, I, people see me coming and they, some of y'all think I don't see, I see you turn around and walk the other way. Fr- friends, fear of rejection is a real thing. Fear of being mocked is a real thing. But you know what? When you appreciate what God has done, you can't help but talk about it. Do you talk about it? Do you tell lost people what you know? How appreciative you are. The other thing is you give to others what God gave you. Say, what are you talking about? Colossians 3, Colossians 3, 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you, all mo- you also must forgive. See, when you receive the grace of Jesus and, and you know that he has paid by his debt, with his death, for your sin and mine, you, you can't help but know to forgive others. And not just others, yourself. If Christ has forgiven you, Who are you not to forgive others? You say, well, you don't know what they did to me. Do you know what they did to Jesus? Do you know what they did to Jesus to set you free? The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus Christ died. He shed his blood. What what more could he give? And, And out of appreciation, having received that forgiveness, we are to give it not only to others, but to ourselves. Who are you not to forgive yourself when Christ has said you're forgiven? When I hear people say, I just can't forgive them, or when I hear people say, I just can't forgive myself, here's what I hear. I don't appreciate God. I don't appreciate his grace. Because see, if we truly understood the graciousness of God, we would appreciate him. And out of appreciation, we would tell others about him. And out of appreciation, we would forgive others, we would forgive ourselves, and we would live free. This gracious God leads us to appreciate him last. The truth is, the truth is God is glorious. And because he's glorious, we can glorify him. The truth is God is glorious, so we can glorify him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You know, we as human beings have a bad habit of thinking that everything, including God, should revolve around us. Philosophers call this anthrocentric behavior. Common sense people call it selfish. This anthrocentric behavior, this selfishness is what created the fall. Because we decided we knew better than God and we wanted to do what we wanted to do. We decided that it was about our happiness. What causes the destruction of a marriage? What causes the destruction of a family? What causes the destruction of a church? Is anthrocentric. It is this selfishness. And the selfishness asks, the reason it it is... The reason it does what it does is because it asks the wrong question. Here's what the selfish person asks. Does this make me happy? The selfish person asks, does this make me happy? The God-centered, Christ-centered person who believes in the glory of God, here's the question that that person asks. Does this make God happy? Is the way I'm living in this marriage, does it make God happy? 
Is, is the way I'm living in this family, does it make God happy? Is the way I'm, I'm functioning within this church make God happy? There are so many people who are pursuing a divorce or have been divorced because they weren't asking whether or not what they were doing was making God happy. That they wanted to make themselves happy. What's destroyed many families are children and adults who don't ask, and, and what, is, what I, is what I'm doing making God happy? Instead, they say, is this going to make me happy? And there are many churches that have been destroyed. And many people, sad to say, have left this church. Because during this pandemic, as we have sought to do our very best, have decided they didn't like our choices. And it's not about me making God happy in the midst. It's does this church make me happy? Does it make me comfortable? Does it meet my standards of what I want and what I expect and demand? It's a terrible way of life. What God calls us to is a life that says, you, to you, oh God. See, everything, everything is God. God is the source. God is the sustainer. God is the goal. Everything is from him. God is the maker. We're just stewards. Remember this. All your time, all your energy, all your resources belong to God. He's just giving them to you for a while and you will give an account for what you did with them. Friends, please, please, you don't want to stand before God and when he says, what did you do? You say, well, with my time, with that money, with, with, with the, that energy, I ask what will make me happy. I promise you, in that great day, you're going to want to say, God, with the time and the energy and the resources, I ask one question, does this make God happy in what I'm doing with them? Not, not only is, is, is he the, the maker, he is the sustainer. It's through him. God holds everything together. Do you realize with a single word, every atom, every molecule, and every compound could cease to exist? A single word. Stop. That is the power of this God. He has made all things. He sustains all things. And it's all to him. And for some of you who are outside of a relationship with God, this should terrify you because God is not safe for you. We're all going to stand before God and then we're going to enter into an eternity with God. Now, what that eternity like is like, well, it really depends on our heart. See, confronted with this sovereign and wise God, our response should be and can only be Paul's. To him be glory forever. Amen. Why? Well, the Bible says in Philippians 2, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the end of all things. It is all to him. And one day, Every person ever conceived will bow their knees before God Almighty and they will give him praise. And after that, some will rise 
having done it because of a desire and a delight, enter into heaven. Others who will be forced and compelled out of the power of God to confess what is true but did not receive the grace that is real. They will enter into an eternity with God where it is the wrath of God that is poured out on them for all eternity. It is from him. It is through him. And friends, ultimately, it is to him. We will all go to him and we will give an account. And God in his grace has said, I will forgive you. I will love you. I will bless you. We can trust him. We can appreciate him. We, we can respect him. We can glorify him. But only, only if we know him and receive what he alone gives. Let's pray. Father God, I know there are some who are here right now who have never received your grace. And so you are very dangerous to them. Be- because they stand condemned in their sin, they're in trouble. And, but Lord God, here's what I know. If they will ask you right now, you will forgive them. And Lord, I pray right now so that some would. And, and if that's you, if, if you want to be right with God and you want to have peace with God and you want to have the blessing of God, tell Jesus this from your heart. Tell him what is true. Tell him that you've sinned and you're sorry. Tell him that you believe that Jesus died to pay the punishment for your sin and ask him to take over your life and to lead you. And if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you are saved and you need to be baptized. Baptized believers, invite the Holy Spirit right now to do an inquiry in the condition of your heart and mind. Are you truly appreciative of God? Do you truly glorify God? Are you glad to obey him and to walk in his ways? Or are you not? Are you rejecting his word by indifference? Are you you going your own way? Repent, child of God. Repent to your father right now and ask for his blessing. Oh God, you are mighty, and we thank you. And we ask that you enable us to believe who you are, and that that belief will change how we live, and how we live will lead to your blessing, a thriving people. Bless us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.